1 John 4, 8 says, God is love. 1 John 4, 8 doesn't say that love is an attribute or an action of God, but that God is love. The nature of God is love, not just that God loves or that God is loving toward us. God is love. The Bible doesn't say that about God's anger. It does not say God is anger. It does not say that God is mercy, though he is merciful. It does not say that God is grace, though he is gracious. The scripture says God is Love. One of the, the great gifts of being a preacher is that every week I have this challenge of doing the hard work of taking um, thoughts in my mind, intuitions, notions that I have about God and his word, and then translating that into words that people will understand. It's a great gift for me as a preacher. One of the most frustrating parts of being a preacher is taking the ideas and thoughts and notions that I have in my mind and translating them into words that people will understand. And I don't know if I've ever felt the frustration of the second half of that reality more than this week as we think about the life and reality of the Holy Spirit. There are so many thoughts that I have about the reality and the work of the Holy Spirit that seem very real and present to me in my mind. Different intuitions and notions about what the scriptures say. But when I begin to attempt to translate those into words that you will understand, I feel like my words fall far, far short of the truth and beauty and goodness of the reality of who the Holy Spirit is. So with that, will you pray with me? God in heaven, I feel today the limitation of my own words and all of our human words to describe fully who you are. So I ask today that as we hear and reflect on your Holy Spirit, we ask that that same spirit would open our imaginations to know you more truly, would inflame the affections of our hearts to love you more deeply. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the last few weeks we have focused on the nature of the God that we worship, the only true God the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. On this theme of steadfast worship, it was important for us to begin with God rather than the things that we do to worship God. And that's when we talk about worship in the church, we often move towards uh, the kind of music that we sing or uh, the things that we do day to day in order to express our worship to him. But we've emphasized that worship is always a response to who God is. It's our response. Our worship begins with God, with who he is. And just like it's very easy to move quickly to what we do in worship, 
it's also easy for us to quickly move to what God has done for us before we consider first who he is. And we've wanted to take that step back to the very beginning so that we would spend time contemplating and considering who God is, not only what he has done for us, but who he is in himself. To not only reflect on the works of his hands, but to seek his face. To seek who he is, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Who is God? What is God like? The scriptures reveal to us that there is only one God. There are not many gods. There is one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is. The scriptures also reveal to us that there are three distinct persons in this one God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Would you sing part of this hymn with me? Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed This is who God is, and this is who God always has been. The three persons of the Trinity are not merely who God has revealed himself to be so that we can somehow understand him in our minds. This is who God is. He is triune. This one God is a communion of persons. In God's own self, he is completely joyful, content, and happy. In God's own divine life, he is without any need. He is not lonely, but each person is fully satisfied and delighted in one another. Forever and ever, God has been and is and forever will be full of love. So much so that the scriptures tell us that God is love. In all of God's work, all of the work of his hands in creation and in salvation and in reconciliation and in redemption, all of that is an overflow of the love that God has for his own self and Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All three persons of the Trinity have all been at work in creation and reconciliation and redemption. It's not as if God the Father was at work in creation and in the calling of Israel, and then he called in the Son off the bench to go in and to save the world, and then later called in the Holy Spirit to complete the work. What the scriptures reveal to us is from the very beginning, that God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit have been at work creating the world, calling us to him, redeeming and reconciling the world to himself. And all of this is done out of an overflow of his love. All of it. God is love. Because God is love, he made the world. Because God is love, he sent his son. Because God is love, he sent his spirit. Because God is love, he is reconciling the whole world to himself. That is good news. That is the gospel. 
In the last two weeks, we have focused on the life and work of the Father and the Son, and today we are going to look at the life and work of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, as I've already said, is a challenge for us to think about and to reflect on. When we talk about the Father and the Son, those are two words that conjure up certain images for us, Father and Son. We, we know what those words mean. We know that there is a relation between the Father and a Son. In the New Testament, we hear Jesus talking about the way that he is the Son relates to his Father. The words Father and Son we're familiar with. We know that they relate to one another. A father cannot be a father without having a child. A son cannot be a son without having a father. We know how the Father and Son relate. We can get a picture of that in our minds. But the third person of the Trinity is named the Holy Spirit. And it's difficult for us to get an image into our minds and hearts about what and who the Spirit is. Because Spirit is by nature invisible, without image. The word Spirit, both in Hebrew and Greek, mean breath or wind. In Hebrew, it's ruach. In Greek, it's pneuma. Both of these mean breath or wind. And breath or wind are not things that we can see. We can only see the effects of breath or wind. And so it's difficult for us to know how to talk about worshiping the Holy Spirit because we don't have an image or idea of what the Spirit is. Rather, we only see the effects of the Holy Spirit. So speaking of and understanding who the Spirit, Holy Spirit is is also difficult because the Scriptures talk about the Holy Spirit in a lot of different ways. How the Spirit is described and how the Spirit relates to the other persons of the Trinity and how the Spirit relates to creation as a whole is varied. Sometimes the Spirit is called the Spirit of God, sometimes the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Holiness. In the Old Testament, the Spirit is called often the Spirit of the Lord. But in spite of this difficulty today, we are going to seek to meditate on the life and work of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. We're going to do that by looking at three questions. Who is the Holy Spirit? What work does the Holy Spirit to do, do? And how do we respond? Who is the Holy Spirit? What work does the Holy Spirit do? And how do we respond? Who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is love. Just as the first person of the Trinity can be called Father and the second person of the Trinity can be called Son, the third person of the Trinity can be called Love. God is love. The Holy Spirit is the love that has forever existed between the Father and the Son. God is love. The Holy Spirit is love. The love that flowed out from God to create the world. The love that overflows into the world to redeem and reconcile the world. This is the Holy Spirit. A couple weeks ago, I pointed out this verse in 2 Peter chapter 1 that says this. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. 
Do you remember the first thing I said about this verse a couple weeks ago? I said, I have no idea what it means. <laughs> the second thing that I said is that part of what it means is that because the father has always been a father and because the father has always loved the son, then when we are joined together with Jesus, the son through faith, then we too become children of God and we begin to participate in that eternal relationship that has always existed between the father and the son. We are caught up into this eternal relationship between Father and Son through the Holy Spirit. I still don't know fully what 2 Peter 1 means, but there's something new that I learned this week about what it means. Through the saving work of the Son and the sanctifying work of the Spirit, we are caught up into the love of God. We participate in that perfect relationship that exists in God's life. We all want this kind of love, this perfect, holy, and pure, unmixed, untainted kind of love. And through our salvation, we are joined together with this God who is love, caught up into the relationship of the Father loving the Son and the Son loving the Father through the Holy Spirit who is love. God is love. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of love. The Holy Spirit is the love that has forever existed between Father and Son. And we are given the gift of being loved by and participating in that love through our salvation. I want to give you two concrete biblical examples that teach us that the Holy Spirit is love. And the first is in the books of 1st and 2nd Samuel, in the story of David and Saul, and that the way the scriptures teach us about the work of the Holy Spirit in David and Saul's life. Let me first read to you from 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. It says this. So this is when um, Samuel is anointing David to be the king. And it says this. Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Next verse, Samuel then went to Ramah. Now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. So I've underlined here, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David and the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. In second chapter, in second Samuel chapter seven, when God is giving his covenant promises to David, listen to what the Lord says. He says to David, my love will never be taken away from you as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Samuel, inspired by God, links the spirit departing from Saul with God's love departing from him. Let me say that again. Samuel, inspired by God, links the spirit departing from Saul with God's love departing from him. So this helps us to understand why in Psalm 51, David prays that prayer 
Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. David very easily could have sang, and take not your love from me. And it would mean the exact same thing. Here and in other places, the Spirit of God is synonymous with the love of God. Because God is love. New Testament example. At the baptism of Jesus, it says this. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love with him. I am well pleased. Here at Jesus' baptism, Jesus received a public declaration that he is God's beloved and a sign of the Spirit came descending on him. God is love. The Holy Spirit is love. The Holy Spirit is the love that has forever existed between the Father and the Son, the same love that overflows to create the world, the same love that draws us into the life and love of God. Who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the love of God. What work does the Holy Spirit do? There's certainly a lot of confusion in the church about the work of the Holy Spirit. There are some groups of Christians who believe that there are certain outward manifestations of the Holy Spirit that are evidence of salvation that must be seen in order for someone to be saved. And there are other groups who are pretty nervous about any movement of the Holy Spirit. There are a lot of things that could be said about the work of the Holy Spirit and about how the Spirit gives us gifts for good work in the world, how the Spirit does move our heart and emotions, and the Spirit does give us those warm uh, feelings of His presence with us. And we've talked about those things, and we experience those things at Broadway. But for this morning, as we think about the Holy Spirit as the love of God, uh, what I want to focus on is the work that the Spirit does in us to teach us how to love. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that chapter on love, Paul is very clear that we can have all kinds of incredible experiences, that we can do incredible miracles, speak in the tongues of angels. But if we do not have love, those things don't come from the Holy Spirit. They come from some other spirit. If they do not produce love in us and in others, then they are nothing, a sounding gong, Paul says. So this morning, what I believe God wants us to hear is that the first and most important work of the Holy Spirit in your life is to teach you how to love. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Our hearts are very chaotic places. Our hearts, our affections, our desires, they're powerful forces in our lives. And so many of our problems in life are because we love the wrong things or we love the right things too much. Our desires lead us to sin. Our affections are bent in the wrong direction. We do not love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and all of our strength, and we do not love our neighbors as ourselves. Our hearts are chaotic places because the love 
of our heart, soul, mind, and strength aren't directed in the right place. So what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit is at work orienting our lives and directing them in the right place. The Holy Spirit is bringing order to our chaotic, chaotic hearts. Ben and I have not talked today, but he began this service today by reminding us that the Spirit of God that was hovering over those chaotic waters is the same Spirit that hovers over our own lives and indwells in our own lives, bringing order to our chaos. In the American church, we think that if we think the right things, if we know the right truths, then everything will work itself out. But thinking the right things and knowing the right things, as essential as that is, we also have to love the right things. We can't only know truth and goodness and beauty. We also have to love truth and goodness and beauty. And the great theologians throughout history, like Augustine and Jonathan Edwards, have all emphasized that we don't only have to know what is true, we also have to love what is good and true and beautiful. And so they talk a lot about the way that God, through the Spirit, is at work, they say, to order our affections, to put our loves in the proper order. Because our hearts are chaotic, disordered places. We do not love the right things. We do not love the right way or in the right order. So in Genesis 1, when the Holy Spirit is said to be hovering over the watery chaos that God had not yet brought into proper order, that same Holy Spirit that is there at the very beginning of creation is there hovering over and entering into and indwelling in your own heart to bring order to the chaos that's there. That's good news, friends. And throughout the New Testament, we are told that this is the work that the Holy Spirit is doing. First of all, to help us love God. Second, to help us love our neighbor. And third, to set us free from ourselves. I want to uh, please open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. We're going to walk through each of these. What does the Holy Spirit do? First, it teaches us to love God. Galatians chapter 4, going to read verses 4 through 6. Paul writes, When the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive the full rights of sons. And because you are sons, God spent the spirit, sent the spirit of his son into your hearts. The Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. I want to suggest to you that Paul says that God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts because it's not good enough to just know that you are a child of God. You have to know that you are a child of God right here. So that in those times of darkness and despair, when you cry out, Abba, Father, you know. Who was it from here that talked about knowing in your knower? Who was that? Vivian Smith. Yeah, thank you. To know in your knower, the deepest place of who you are, that God loves you, and that you can cry out to him, Abba, Father. 
We're also taught to love our neighbor. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. The next book in the scriptures, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Paul writes this. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. It is the Holy Spirit, the love of God that helps us move toward one another in these very practical and life-giving ways in the community of faith. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, loving, here, uh, bearing with one another in love. This, this is something we have to do every single day, and it's the Spirit that enables us to do that, that teaches us how to love our neighbor. And then to Romans chapter 7. The Spirit also sets us free from ourselves and, again, orders our loves. Romans chapter 7, verse 14. See if these verses sound familiar to your own experience. Paul writes, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but I hate what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For for what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Anyone ever feel that way? This is very familiar to me. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Therefore, there is no, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life, has set me free from the law of sin and death. Which spirit? The spirit of life. The Holy Spirit is the one who does this work, who sets us free from this raging war in our hearts that causes us to do the very things that we hate and that keeps us from doing the things that we want to do. When we do not live in the spirit, our hearts become this chaotic and contentious place where we are literally at war with ourselves. And so in this chapter, Paul says that we can be set free by Christ through the Spirit, that our hearts can be put in their proper order so that we can do the things that we love, do the things that we know God has for us. Chapter 8, verse 5. 
Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the nature desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Friends, before before any of those great manifestations of the Holy Spirit that we desire and long to see, more important than the Holy Spirit goosebumps that we like to get every once in a while, before understanding the gifts of the Holy Spirit that God gives so that we can do good work, before all of that, the Holy Spirit, the love of God, is teaching and training you how to love. How to love God, how to love our neighbor, and how to love ourselves. How to be in proper order with ourselves. The Holy Spirit indwells our chaotic hearts and brings order, rightly directing our affections to the love of God, to the right love of our neighbor, and through sanctification, settling this war that's always raging in our hearts. Before anything else, the Holy Spirit is at work teaching you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So how do we respond? How do we worship the Holy Spirit? There are a lot of things that could be said. I'm just going to express two briefly today. And the first is by giving thanks. When you experience love in your heart growing for God the Father, when you are in time of that deep despair or darkness and you find yourself crying out to Abba, Father, that is the work of the Holy Spirit in you. Give thanks for it. When you experience love and gratitude in your heart for the Son who accomplished the work of salvation on the cross and in his resurrection, that love is being produced in you by the Holy Spirit. Give the Spirit thanks for what he is doing. When you find that you that your love for someone that's hard to love is growing, when you've been given the ability to be humble and gentle and patient with one another, if there's someone in your life that's really hard for you to love, but you find that your heart for them, your affection for them, your sympathy for them is growing, when that person doesn't feel like an enemy to you, that is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Give thanks for the work that he is doing. When you find that war that's raging inside your heart, that war where you find yourself doing the things that you hate and failing to do the things that you know that you ought to do, when you realize that there begins to be victory in that war, when the chaotic waters of your own heart are being stilled, that is the work of the Holy Spirit. Give thanks to the Spirit for the work He is doing. The second is surrender. Surrender to the love of God. God loves you. He made you. He knows you. He loves you. He loves you before you ever did anything for Him. He just loves you. At Jesus' baptism, the Father said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus had not done a single miracle. 
He had not healed anyone. He had not yet preached the Sermon on the Mount. He had not yet gone to the cross. He had not yet submitted his life in suffering on the cross. Before all of that, the Father said, This is my beloved Son. And from the knowledge of that love overflowed all of the good work that Jesus did. And the same is true of your life. You are his beloved. You do not have to earn it. You do not have to achieve it. You just rest in it and receive it. Stop trying to fight against it because it's yours, whether you want it or not. He loves you. The Father loves you. And right now, the Holy Spirit has been poured out into your heart. Poured out into your heart so that you can be drawn up into his life. This is the good news. This is what the Spirit is doing in your life and in mine. It's the work that he's doing in reconciling the whole world to himself. So let's surrender to his love for us today. Amen. Lord, we feel and know once again the the inadequacy of our minds and our words to fully grasp who you are. But God, I pray that whatever word that I have spoken today that has been been true and right from your word and expresses who you are in yourself and who you are for us and what you've done for us and what you are doing in us. Lord, anything that said me that has been true, Lord, that that would be planted deeply in our hearts, that it would be a seed there that grows and grows and grows and bears good fruit. God, I pray as we come to know you more, I pray that we would better worship you. We thank you for your steadfast love that calls us to steadfast worship. God, I pray that we would be that kind of people. Amen.